Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It is Friday, February 17th, 2023. It is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces on a free-for-all Friday. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. Hope everyone's having a great week. Busy-ish weekend in the combat sports world. We have Knuckle Mania tonight, and I got to draw the straw to cover that one. So that should be interesting. I'm actually weirdly intrigued by it. The BKFC cards, they are what they are. They are kind of circusy, but they fly by and usually the fights end very quickly. And there's always some sort of spectacle that happens. So oddly intrigued by that. We're on the eve also of UFC Vegas 69 which goes down tomorrow. Main event, a big one at 125 pounds. It could shake the entire foundation of the women's flyweight division as Erin Blanchfield gets her toughest test to date. Short notice opponent, Jessica Andrade. Some other somewhat interesting things on this card. All in all, not a great card, but as we like to say, there's worse things you could do on a Saturday. But a couple things. Uh, if you saw my tweet, we had the, the CrossFit Open started today. And I got to do my first open workout. I am exhausted. It just absolutely killed me. Uh, it was a lot. It was, you had to do basically 200 reps of really tough stuff in 14 minutes. And that was like the goal. It's really tough to finish. But I almost finished it. I got to 197 out of the 200. So I was very proud of myself. Uh, we did a similar workout a couple weeks ago <clears throat> and I did two more than I did a couple weeks ago. So I was very happy about that, but nobody cares about that. Uh, the one thing I do want to talk about though, and it's been a big topic over the last couple days, we talked about it a little bit 
on the show yesterday. We talked about it on BTL. And that is this IV gate stuff when it comes to the Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky fight. And there's been a lot of comments. There's been I've been tagged in a bunch of stuff uh, in Instagram stories. People have been DMing me. So I'll, let me just say this. I understand how people feel. I understand that this could be a big deal. But the, the main word is could. Because like we've talked about, and like we sort of talked about yesterday, and like we talked about on BTL, we have no idea if Islam Makachev took an IV of any kind, despite what the rules say, despite how the UFC put out the updated rule set, which nobody really knew about, outside of the speculation and the accusations, there is no proof of anything right now. So as much as I would love to come on the show and speculate and answer IV questions, and we could certainly do that if you have them, as of right now, there is nothing to talk about. It's just, here. It's he said, she said at this point. That's where we're at. And if there is proof, if there is a video of some kind that comes out that shows Islam Makachev getting an IV and it was not done correctly, and yes, I know the Australia Commission has rules on their website saying IVs cannot be administered. I get that. We're not dumb. We, we talked about it. I hadn't seen any of that stuff yesterday morning when we were doing the show, but I've seen it since. But again, here's the thing. We have no proof. There's nothing. There is nothing outside of people just saying it. And at this point... People are just fired up about this. So all I'm going to say is until I see something, and I said this on Tuesday when we were talking about this, until we see something, there's really not much we can say here. Now, if it comes out that he took an IV and it was not done correctly or is against the rules, then he should be punished 100%. If it means stripping him of the belt, it means stripping him of the belt. But at this point, there is nothing. There's speculation. That's it. But I just, I mean, I just couldn't believe, I even woke up this morning and there was like 20 DMs and those tags and a bunch of stuff. Well, this person said this and it's your responsibility to talk about it. We are talking about it, but we can only talk about what we know and what we know is nothing. We know nothing. So that's all I want to say about that. We can, we can talk about it and stuff. I can get your opinions on it, and that's cool. But again, there's nothing. There is nothing. And yes, I understand when there's smoke, there's potentially fire. But at this point, we're not even, I mean, we're seeing, we're not even seeing smoke. We're seeing people rub sticks together at this point. That's, the, that's what we're seeing, which is pretty much nothing. If that changes, we have a whole different conversation altogether. But right now, I'd love to sit here and just put a bullshit headline up and have people click on it and be like, oh, IV use. Did someone cheat? I'd love to do that. Actually, I wouldn't. But we could do that. But we're not going to because we have nothing. We have nothing to talk about in that regard. Outside of, he said this, 
he responded with this, deleted tweet this, response this. That's cool. But we don't have any proof. And that's really the point I want to make here. There could be down the line, but as of right now, there is none. So that's all I'll say about that. We can keep talking about it if you want, but that's where we, that's where we are at right now. We got nothing. I think Luke Thomas said it perfectly on BTL yesterday, which, by the way, I hope you guys enjoyed that. It, it warmed my heart to see Luke Thomas on that show, and him and Jed just got after it, and it was a ton of fun. But even Luke said, if, if you took this, what we have right now, into a judge, into a courtroom, and a judge saw it, he would throw it out. He'd be like, what are we doing here? There's nothing. Case dismissed. But again, if that changes, we see some evidence, some proof, we have a whole different conversation. But let's get into this thing. Free for All Friday, your show, Four Quarter Sports, you're up. Well, beautiful job yesterday on getting Luke Thomas on. I think it was phenomenal. I think it was maybe top two best best BTL shows I've, I've heard. I was listening to it last night. And uh, phenomenal work. Um, like you said, it. Uh, there's nothing to really report when it comes to the IV. The only thing I will say is that Dan Hooker really put an awareness. We're all going to be, you know, focusing on Islam Makhachev's next fight as he's trying to, like, cut down on weight. And I think the UFC is going to try to zero in to see, you know, how he tries to rehydrate. But I wanted to talk about mainly the main event. If Aaron Blanchfield gets the, the, the victory... Do you think she gets a, a title shot in her next fight? And if, if not, if you're Aaron Blanchfield's corner, are you telling her to try to get the matchup again with Tyler Santos? Because we all know that how close that fight was against her and Valentina. And if Blanchfield was to knock off uh, Tyler Santos, that's just eliminating one contender and ensuring her as the, the next uh, contender for the flyweight belt. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, man. Um, so a couple things. Yes, it, like I said, it warmed my heart to have Luke Thomas on and, you know, just bringing, bringing media people together despite how some people feel about some things. It's just so cool. Like, it's just so cool. And I would love to exist in a space where I could just bring anybody on BTL. Like, I would love, I would love that. But unfortunately, we are in a competitive space and in some ways it's like oddly weird that there's like rivalries and stuff like not for me but i won't like get into that but it's just it's just weird and i i would love to live in a world where i could just hit up anybody to come on btl and it just doesn't really work like that but getting luke on is so freaking cool getting bc on is cool uh getting all these different people on it's the best it's just the best and i had so much fun yesterday and i hope you guys enjoyed it um, I, I, I get where you're coming from with the Islam stuff. Here's, here's what I'll say Dan Hooker did, did positively. And we talked about this on BTL as well. Now, because of this tweet, we now understand what the fucking rules are because we didn't know. The fighters didn't know. The managers didn't know. The coaches didn't know. Nobody knew what the rules were. I had no idea that they changed the rules in 2019. No clue. I don't think anybody was even notified that the rules were changed. 
especially in the media. Now, I wasn't working at MMA Fighting at the time, so I wasn't. it's not something I was really looking for. What I was doing in MMA in 2019 was basically interviews and hosting shows. Rarely wrote anything unless it was breaking news. So I wasn't really tapped into that per se, but I probably would have knew about it, at least in some way, or would have remembered it. It would have tickled my brain cells a little bit. But nobody knew anything. Nobody knew. And it's crazy. It's crazy that four years later, we found out that a rule got changed <laughs> from 2019. Like, if there's anything positive that has come out of this so far, it is now we know what the rules are when it comes to IV use, which is insane to me. It is insane. So at least we got that nugget of information. As far as the main event goes, if Aaron Blanchfield beats Jessica Andrade, and I don't care how she does it, I don't care if she goes out and bolts her, I don't care if she wins a unanimous decision, I don't care if she sneaks out a splitty. If Aaron Blanchfield beats Jessica Andrade tomorrow, her next fight is for the belt. There's no other way to go. If she beats Jessica Andrade, especially on short notice, she's getting a title shot. I will accept nothing less. The Tyler Santos fight was intriguing. This is a tougher fight. This is a bigger fight. And if she goes out there and beats the absolute savage that is Jessica Andrade on short notice in a main event, she's getting a title fight. She's getting a title fight. She is the legit number one contender in the division if she does this. In my eyes. In my eyes. I know Alexa Grouse is fighting for the belt. But Blanchfield's getting the winner. I mean, if Alexa Grasso somehow beats Valentina Shevchenko, they'll probably run it back. But her next fight will be for a title. And if you want to do, and look, the UFC has done interim titles for sillier things. If you want to do this just like an interim title to determine like a legit number one contender, do an interim title fight, Aaron Blanchfield has to be involved. But I think Valentina Shevchenko will beat Alexa Grasso. I think it's a more competitive fight than most people think it's going to be. I think Alexa's going to show up and have moments. But again, I think Valentina's just going to be so pissed off about the fallout of the Tyler Santos fight that she's going to have an Andrade-esque kind of a performance. And it's just going to be one of those nights where nobody's going to be able to beat her. That's just how I see it. But if Blanchfield wins, she's getting a title shot. 100%. And she would deserve it. I wouldn't have said the same if she beat Santos. But if she beats Andrade, yep, she's getting a title shot. Tristan, what's up? Mike, can you hear me? Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wanted, yeah, I also wanted to uh, talk about that as well. Uh, the the main event between um, Aaron Blanchfield and Jessica Andrade. I, to, my prediction to me, this thing could go either way, pretty much. I, I, I think about this. I was thinking about this fight so much, and I'm like. Well, Blanchfield grappling has been absolutely phenomenal, um, especially when she grappled um, Miranda Maverick. Miranda Maverick is strong, and that, that fight aged well because Miranda Maverick's on a run right now. So she was able to chain wrestle and just pretty much dominate that fight. But then I have pause about Aaron Blanchfield because of the J.J. Aldridge, where she was getting pieced up in that first round. I was getting really worried. I was like, this, this is not good. So with Jessica Andrade, Jessica Andrade obviously is just such a greater, much greater fighter than J.J. Aldridge. So, and she's improved, especially 
coming off of Valentina when she got dominated with the grappling as well. So she's going to be very aware of what's going on. So this thing can go either way. If she gets, if she stuffs um, Aaron Blanchard takedown, I can't, I can't see Aaron Blanchard winning this fight, you know, because she, she, her strike is not great. It's, it's good. It's decent, but it's not, I mean, pretty much, uh, um, oh my God, I'm having a brain fart here. Uh, Jessica Andrade um, will just pretty much kind of piece her up because that's how phenomenal her striking is. But then on the other hand, with Jessica Andrade is that Valentina Shevchenko is fresh on my mind, and you know she got she got destroyed in that fight, and we'll see if Aaron Blanchard could do the same thing. Cause I I I have to think Aaron Blanchard and her team watched that Valentina Shevchenko fight, and then because um, the way how Blanchard works is she goes by tendencies. So if she sees certain tendencies that Jessica Andrade does. That's why she just jumps on it and just goes to town on you. So, again, my prediction is this is going either way. Um, from a strategic standpoint, how do you see it? Thanks, Mike. So I'm with you with the J.J. Aldrich fight, and it's mostly because a lot of the strikes and a lot of the success that J.J. was having in that fight was because J.J. was grappling very well defensively, and Aaron was leaving herself open – when she was trying to get inside it and make those moves and she was getting clipped. I would have to assume that Aaron has made those adjustments since. And, but who knows? This is, this is Jessica freaking Andrade. And if she makes a mistake, especially early, it could be a lot. It could be a rough one. I do feel like in, I know Jessica Andrade is someone who kind of gets better too, as the fight goes on. Like she doesn't just, gas out she we saw it in the second rose on Yunus fight like she gets she can get cooking but it's different when you're fighting somebody like rose who's just going to stand there and mostly strike with you as opposed to someone who's just going to relentlessly try to take you down so i could see a world where andrage finishes aaron blanchfield in the first round i can see that world but i could also see a world where blanchfield can extend this thing out and and win a decision. It's very possible. It's very possible. A lot of people when they saw this match were like, oh, poor Aaron Blanchfield. No, I actually think stylistically she matches up pretty well. I think she does. But you gotta be you gotta be is you gotta be pretty mistake free against Jessica Andrade, especially in like the first 10 minutes of the fight. Because eventually Blanchfield's gotta get going. She's been training for for a fight for a while. Andrade fought Lauren Murphy, and it wasn't very competitive, She, but she dished out a lot of punishment in that fight, so that has to take something from you. And then for the last few weeks, Aaron's been preparing for a five-round fight. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, but I think the longer it goes, the more it favors Blanchfield, and if we're going to get a finish in this fight in the first couple, couple of rounds, it's probably going to be from Jessica Andrade. So I haven't landed on an official pick yet, because I keep looking at it. The J.J. Alders fight is one that I've gone back and watched and kind of studied a little bit. But you have to think at this point, Blanchfield's kind of cleaned that thing up. I'm sure her team has helped her clean that up over the last couple of fights. We didn't really need to see too much in the Molly McCann fight because she just kind of ran her over. 
But that's going to be something that the first five minutes of this fight are going to be like edge of your seat kind of stuff, at least in my eyes. And then it's just going to be Andrade is always dangerous, but I think it's going to become a little more chess matchy. And if we get into the championship rounds, I think Blanchfield can steal it. So it's going to be an interesting fight. And this could shake up the whole damn division if Aaron Blanchfield wins this fight. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Uh, we'll go to Ani and then we'll go to Bull. Ani, what's up? I've been good. You? Hanging in there as they would like to say, but swinging, swinging like Tarzan. Um, so, so I'm, I'm going, so since this is a free-for-all Friday, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on MMA, but, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we might have on our hands a hardcore delight. And to say that this is coming from a women's flyweight division, which hasn't been very exciting other than, you know, I love watching Valentina Shevchenko fight. I think she's my fighter crush. But uh, to say that there is an exciting fight coming up, um, you know, in the women's flyweight division is amazing. And no, that is not Jessica Andraj versus Erin Blanchfield. AK, if you're listening to me, you like this. Tatiana Suarez beats Montana De La Rosa. And imagine if Erin Erin Blanchfield beats uh, Jessica Andrade. Of course, Erin Blanchfield would uh, fight Valentina Shevchenko next. But can you imagine Erin Blanchfield versus Tatiana Suarez? That is an amazing matchup. I would watch the hell out of it. Um, anyway, that's, I just wanted to uh, mention that. Uh, if if possible, AK, we would like to hear from you as well. It's free for all, isn't it, Mike? So maybe we can hear from him as well. And uh, moving on, I just wanted to share something about... So I, I am a research student in Cardiff University. And when I'm not in the university, you know, um, doing experiments, working in the lab, I either, you know listen to your podcast or I uh, watch MMA the other matches I or I also have a part-time job in this organization called residence life where where we host a lot of events and basically social engagement activities for students living in university residences and as a part of that I am running a well-being Wednesday book club where you know we basically talk about mental health issues and how to overcome them and just, you know, uh, to spread some positivity. And I don't know if you can see a tweet that I, just, that I just shared. So there is this positive affirmation wall and where I just write a few things on a post-it and I stick it on the wall. So I would be extremely grateful, uh, you know, if you could share a positive affirmation. I mean, I actually thought it would be nice if you could just write something on a piece of paper and send a 
I mean, tweet a photo of it. I'll print it and I'll stick it on the wall over there. But I think that'd be too much uh, uh, asking of you. But if you can just share a positive affirmation, I mean, anyone really, anyone listening, anyone on this program, if they can share a positive affirmation in their call, it would be great. And uh, thank you so much uh, for hearing me out. And it's been, I, I really enjoy uh, sharing my views on this program and listening to everyone's views. Um, thank you. Yes, that 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 is it uh, from me. Thank you, Ani. And I'm always up for some positive stuff. Um, let me just... Hold on. What am I looking for? Let me see if I can find this tweet. Positive affirmations on a piece of paper and share the photo with me. I'll print it and put it up on the wall. I mean, it's for a book club running, and I appreciate your support. Take what you need. Give what you can. Um, let me think about it. Let me think about it. I'll send you something. Give me a day, and I'll send you something that you can put on the wall. You have my word. And I think AK would agree with what, you, what else you had to say. We had Bull in line, but then he left, so... If he comes back, he could be next. Uh, QP Prime, hello. QP Prime. All right. Let's go to Abswalia. What's up, Abswalia? Hi, Mark. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Um, I got. Two two questions asked. My first question is, um, how well does Lee Jingliang stylistically match up against Marco Chiesa, and how do you see the fight between Gilbert Burns and Marcelo playing out? Thanks for having a heck of a morning. Mm, Lee Jingliang is interesting. It's an interesting fight. I mean, if they stand, you gotta go Leech, and on the ground, Leech is solid, but I think Kies is better, especially with his offensive grappling. Not that Leech is a slouch, but Kies is clearly better. So it's gonna be one of those fights where, if Leech can keep it on the feet, I'm not saying Kies can't strike because he can, but he'd be better served on the ground. And Kies, when if if he's on, he's so tough to deal with. Just ask Neil Magny. I mean, he put it, he put a pace on Neil Magny, a guy that's really hard to do that to. Uh, and he did it for 25 minutes. So it's an interesting fight. I love the matchup. I'm clearly, uh, I'm definitely intrigued by it. My pick will probably be Kiesa by decision, but that fight could go either way. Burns Mazadal is interesting. I want to see what the betting lines are on that fight right now. Because that last look, and I'll bet on MMA, but if I were to bet on MMA, I actually would look at Mazadal. Plus, wow, minus 450, plus 360 for Mazadal. I honestly think this fight is closer. I, de- I think it's closer. I don't think Mazadal's. I don't think Mazadal gets enough respect for his actual grappling. Now, his defensive wrestling isn't great as we've seen in some of his previous fights. We saw it in the Colby fight. We saw it in the first Usman fight. His def- And he's admitted this himself. His defensive wrestling in terms of defending shots and takedowns, he's a pretty good defensive grappler, 
but eventually you can work outwork him and get him to the ground. What Mazadal does pretty well is his actual on the mat grappling. It's pretty solid. And I don't think Burns is going to take him down and just kind of sit on top of him. I think Burns is going to be try advantageous on the ground and try to get submissions and try to play a jiu-jitsu game more so than a wrestling game. And Mazadal doesn't get enough credit for how good he is with his actual jiu-jitsu and his grappling. Not as good as Burns, clearly, but he's very solid. And if this fight stays on the feet, Burns can strike, but Mazadal is better. So I do think this is an interesting matchup. And I feel like Mazadal has, I mean, just everything to gain here. And, but also a ton to lose. Like he's got a lot riding on this fight. He has to deliver. He has to deliver. And there's a lot for Burns too. If he wants to get back to the title fight, he's got to beat Mazadal. And I do feel like if Leon Edwards wins on March 18th, if he beats Kamara Usman again, there is a, there is a real world where the winner of this fight gets a title shot. And it sucks for Bilal Muhammad. I get it. But you best believe if Mazadal wins and Leon wins, Mazadal's getting the title shot, whether you like it or not. That's just the way the UFC does things. And that pay-per-view is going to do better than any other matchup for Leon unless he fights Hamza Shemaev, which doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I'm, my pick is probably Burns. But if you're giving me plus 400 on Mazadal, be worth a sprinkle, honestly, because I, I think this fight's closer. I would say Burns maybe like a minus three hundred, but plus, but minus four fifty just seems awful wide to me. But off the review a little bit more before we go into it. But I do think this fight's closer than minus four fifty plus three sixty. Cole, what's up? Good morning, Mike. Uh, kind of one not related to MMA, really. Um, what are your what are your top if you had to pick like top three favorite states in the United States, maybe ones you visited, um, maybe ones you grew up in, uh, I'll hang up and listen. Thanks. Top three states. Uh, I mean, obviously Massachusetts, depending on when. Uh, anytime in Massachusetts between like April to October, I love Massachusetts. I love the fall. Like, September, half of October is the best. Like, that's just the best. Uh, I could deal without the winters, although they haven't gotten a ton of snow this season. Uh, I really like South Carolina. That's where I'm living now. Uh, it's like 80 degrees out today. Can't beat that in February. Uh, I like Florida. Um, not a place I would live, but a place I like to visit. My parents live in Florida. Uh, so I enjoy going to visit them. New York has kind of grown on me. Again, not a place that I would live, but a place you could walk around. There's stuff everywhere. I like Texas. I've been to Texas a bunch. Uh, I have family in Dallas. Good times. Uh, I've been to Austin. Cool place. Been to Houston. Cool place. San Antonio. Texas is cool. Uh, oddly enough, like I haven't, traveled that far west like i'd love to see the rest of the damn country i think the furthest west i've ever traveled is 
South Dakota. And I had to cover a bare knuckle card out there before I came to MMA fighting. It was uh, the Ken Shamrock put on event uh, that I went out and covered, which is uh, super interesting and good and for bad. Uh, but yeah, those, those are the ones, I mean, I've like, obviously I've been to New Hampshire and Maine and Connecticut and, and all those, but those are the ones that, you know, I, I would kind of hurry back to go see, go visit again, depending on what city and what part of the state, but interesting question. Uh, we'll go to Lone Wolf, then we'll go to JSTAT, then we'll go to Chase. Hi, Lone Wolf. Yep, gotcha. Uh, so I want to talk about the uh, the card is, that is going to happen in next month, uh, where John Jones is fighting with Cyril Khan. Uh, I think it's 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 very exciting as John Jones is like coming back like more than after three years, and also on this card. Rachmanov and uh, and a dude named uh, Neil is fighting. Yes, yeah. and I want to ask you uh, one. My first question is that: What do you think about uh, will John Jones win or lose against Cyril Gunn? As also Cyril Gunn is a strong dude and he's a heavyweight professional heavyweight. He has been fighting in this division uh, longer than John Jones. It's John Jones. I think uh, John Jones. I don't know much about John Jones because. Uh, I started watching MMA like for past two years. I, I don't know much about John Jones, but I know I know that he's a god and he he's a very well he he's got a very well re- record in the MMA. Like he de- he's defended his title for fourteen or fifteen times. And what do you think? Uh, will he win or lose? And second, my question is that about Rachmanov. He literally finished sixteen guys. In his MMA record, and it's 16-0. Uh, so he's a threat in the welterweight division. And what do you think about his title shot? Uh, till when he he can get the title shot in welterweight uh, division? Like at the end of this year, or do you think uh, in next year? What do you think about it? And my third question is about Bo Nickel. Uh, Bo Nickel uh, is a new is a new new player in the UFC game. Uh, he said he's a threat for uh, Israel Adesanya and Alex Freira. He can he can give them a hard time. What do you think about Bo Nickel? Uh, do you think he can give them a hard time and win the win the title uh, against both both these guys? Uh, but he's new. But he's saying he can he can pull it off. What do you think about it? My questions are these. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mike. Thanks, man. So I mean, look, I appreciate Bo Nickel's confidence and. If they booked Bo Nickel against either of those two guys right now, kind of sight unseen, I don't know if I would pick them, but they are. It's they're both intriguing. They're both intriguing, and that says something about the ceiling for this guy. So, I mean, I, like I said, I dig the confidence, and there are people out there who would pick Bo Nickel to be both of those guys right now, despite only being three and zero. I don't know if I would necessarily go that far because I think experience does matter. And it's different when you're fighting. Let me just go through Bo's pro record. It's different when nobody's punching you in the face when you're fighting the Donovan Beards and the Zach Borregos and the John Nolans and the Billy Goods and the David Conleys of the world. It's a whole different ball game when UFC caliber fighters are punching you in the face. Jamie Pickett, 
Alex Pereira hits like a freaking truck. Israel Adesanya. We haven't, we, I just have, I have questions. I have questions. And I, like I said, I respect his confidence. And there is a world that three wins from now, we're going to be having a much different conversation. There is a chance that that's a conversation we're going to have. But I, I just need to see more before I can confidently pick a 3-0 guy as, as talented as he is in the combat landscape to beat the two, the two dudes in the UFC right now. So ceiling high, we'll see what he does. Will Rachmaninoff fight for the title this year? No, he will not. Um, and it's through no fault of his own. He's just not going to get the fights, unfortunately. I think he's going to. I think he's going to beat the hell out of Jeff Neal. He's going to do to Jeff Neal what he's pretty much done to everybody else. And then you have to throw him in there with somebody that is going to be willing to give him a shot. That's inside the top ten. And I don't see a lot of these guys at 170 that are going to be lining up to fight that guy. So I, I think it's just going to be a long road for him. I think his... I, I think hardcore fans understand how good this man is. I just... Well, Jeff Neal's number seven. That's Wow, I didn't think he was that high. But, I, I mean, he's look at the top five in the UFC right now. It's Usman, Covington, Hamzat, Bilal Muhammad, Gilbert Burns. Then there's Wonder Boy. If he beats Jeff Neal, he's going to be number seven. So he's going to have to fight one of those five guys. And I just don't know if anyone's going to be overly thrilled to fight him. It's going to be tough. Plus, I don't think he comes across as like a big star. Um, Hamzat, at least. And, and again, I don't blame Rachmana for this, but it'd be something that he might want to get rolling with like we've seen Piotr Jan he's starting to speak English a little bit better Hamza can speak English him adding that to the to the resume so to speak will help get him over a little bit more but yeah I just think it's going to be a long road especially if Leon wins because there's there's just too many guys right now like what's what's happening with Hamza what's happening with Colby we have no idea where does Bilal fit in this what if Mazadal beats Burns? Probably getting a title shot. Like, there's just too many hurdles for him to get over. Uh, I will say this. If Shafkat Rachmanov fought Leon Edwards right now, like if that was the title fight, I would pick Shafkat Rachmanov without hesitation. And this is no disrespect to Leon Edwards, but I would pick, I would pick Rachmanov to beat him. I would pick him to beat a lot of these guys. I'd pick him to beat Bilal. I'd pick him to beat Burns. Eh, Burns would be a tough fight, but I think I would still pick Rachmanov. Colby's interesting. I might lean Rachmanov in that one, and Usman is stylistically interesting too. But I just don't know if he's going to get any of these fights after after the Jeff Neal fight. I just don't know if it happens. And then Jones gone. I mean, we talked about this yesterday. I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how this fights with. If this is a, again, if this is a, if John Jones can't get zero gone to the ground, I think it's going to be a horrible night for him. But if John has learned how to wrestle in space and shoot takedowns, then he's going to be very successful in this fight. So, 
I just don't know. We haven't seen the guy in three years. All we've seen is photos and some videos of him hitting pads and dancing with Walt Harris. Like, it's just, I just have so many questions. It's just one of those fights. We're just going to have to see how it plays out. But just going by what we've seen from John over the last several years and throughout his career, uh, John's a tank on top, man. But it's just a matter of how he's going to get Cyril gone to the ground. Because typically John Jones is a guy who delivers great trips in the clinch, battles against the fence. And those are very dangerous spots to be in when you're fighting a guy like Cyril Gunn. So, I don't know. I don't know. Jay Stout, what's up? You too. What's up? Oh, hello? Hello? Yep, I got you. Okay, um, what is next for Umar Nurmagomedov? I really feel like he is a future champion of the Bantamweight division. And um, also, who do you have winning the Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith fight? And how does that fight play out in your mind? Thank you. That's an, inter- that's an interesting fight. Johnny, this could be a big year for Johnny Walker. It could be a very good year for Johnny Walker. Anthony's a tough out, though, man. Like, I know he doesn't get enough credit, but he's a tough out, especially in a five-round fight. Man, that's tough. Honestly, it's a tough fight. I would, like, maybe slightly favor Johnny Walker right now, but not by much. Not by much. It's a good fight. It's a pretty evenly matched one. Uh, Johnny's probably the more athletic guy, but I, I mean, Anthony's been through the fire so many times. He's fought better guys. He's beaten better guys. And Johnny's looked good, but I think he's had some pretty favorable matchups if we're being honest. So I think I'll, I would slightly lean Johnny Walker, but I'm not totally confident about that. What's next for Umar Nurmagomedov? I have no idea. Because just like we were talking about with Shafkar Rachmanov, I don't know who the, who's going to want to fight this guy. So I would, I would guess, just looking at what things currently look like, how I would do it, because I am so high on him, and I wanted to see Umar fight Marab anyways... Uh, maybe the loser of Marab and Piotr Jan would be a would be a nice fight. I think he's gonna fight before that. I don't think he's gonna get. He's gonna have to fight a a guy who's not ranked first, because again, like Gutierrez is booked, Giannis is booked, Munoz is booked, Song Yudong's booked, Dominic Cruz is there, but I don't think Dominic takes that fight. And why the hell would he? Font's booked, Sanhagen's booked, Cheeto's booked. Rob Jan booked. Sean O'Malley ain't going to take that fight right now. So, yeah, he's probably going to have to fight backwards just to stay busy. But I would, I mean, honestly, I would give him the Jan Rob DeWalsh really loser. I don't think that's a bridge too far at all. But he's going to have a tough time getting fights. That's for sure. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch 
against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. King Cat, hello. Hey, Mike. Uh, hope you're doing well. So there's been a lot of talk about what's next for Aaron Blanchfield um, if she wins, but um, what's next for uh, Andrade if she wins or loses? So we know that she's gunning for... Um, the Whaley matchup, and it's a different weight class. Uh, we know that Dana loves her. He's always like praising her after her fights, and you know she's doing this short notice and putting on exciting fights. So, um, sorry, I'm out of breath. <laughs> I was trying to run to my phone. Um, so if she loses, you know, does she just have one more fight in strawweight and get the title shot? Because you know it could be like, well, she's a week notice, and you know she fought recently. And if she wins, like, do we think she automatically gets the Whaley fight? Thanks. Automatically? No. I wouldn't hate if they did that. Uh, I honestly think she's going to fight Rose Namajunas next. Whether it's at 15 or 25. I, I just think that's the fight to make. Even if she loses to Aaron Blanchfield on short notice, I would still make that fight. Because the winner gets winner get a title shot. Winner gets back in there with Zhang. Rose already beat Zhang twice. Like it would, and we live in a world where it wouldn't be shocking if Rose just got a title shot against Zhang. But we got Amanda Lamosh there. I wouldn't mind seeing Zhang Weili Amanda Lamosh do the damn thing. I think Amanda's earned her spot. And then let Jessica and Josh and Rose fight. They can fight at any weight. They can fight at 15 or 25. Rose wants to test out 25 and see what it's like. Cause she's talked about it. She wants to put on some muscle before she comes back. Teasing a move perhaps. I mean, they can just do it at 25 and it'll still have the same stakes at 15. So Rose is the fight to me. They're one, one. Um, I would like to see that fight, but I don't know what they're going to do at one fifteen. But if, I mean, if Andrade just kills Aaron Blanchfield tomorrow, and she demands it, and Zhang Weili is in, and both can come back. Because, I mean, this is two fights in a month for Jessica Andrade. Yeah, time calendars and timelines are going to be important, but Rose is the fight I would make. Either way. But I think all those options are on the table. Mike. Yep. What's up? For, what's up for on tonight? Hey, of a morning. Uh, I just want to ask real quick. Out of the many things that's wrong with the UFC, what are the top three things that you would prioritize and change? 
whether that be weight cutting, how fighters are promoted, or just anything that's wrong with the UFC. That's it. Well, I think fighter pay is the first on everybody's mind. Um, but again, I don't fully blame the UFC for that because the fighters themselves allowed this to happen, and this is what this is the world they live in now. You know, they had they had chances to come together, and they didn't do it when the company was sold. When they signed the ESPN deal, uh, other avenues with sponsorships, many opportunities to come together and make a change, and they didn't do it. So. As much as I, I mean, people love to shit on the UFC for fighter pay, and these fighters deserve more money. You can't fully blame them, but I would like to see them get a bigger piece of the pie, for sure. That's that's got to be number one. Two, the cost. Like, there's just look. I I I don't want to be that dude who just sits there and whines about stuff, but there's just too many cards. There's just too many cards. And I understand why, because they have this ESPN deal and ESPN is paying them, I mean, just so much money to put these cards on. But there's just too many cards. Like, it's just too many. And because there's too many, they get bogged down. And, like, this card tomorrow is not good. Like, the main event's good, but the rest of the card is just, it's okay at best. And that might be generous. Let's pull this up. So we got the main event's good. Zach Pauga, Jordan Wright is the co-main event. Josh Parisian, Jamal Pogues is the featured bout. William Knight, and I, and I like, and I love me some Willie, Willie Knight. Love that guy. Super personality. Fighting Marcin Prachnio. Jim Miller, Alexander Hernandez is interesting. Uh, Nazim Sadikov versus Evan Elder. Evan Elder, a former BTL guest. Lena Landsberg, Myra Bueno Silva, two ranked fighters, which, by the way, they have to be ranked. Landsberg especially, not a shot on her, because they have nobody in this division. And there's never fights at 135 for the women. Jamal Emmers, Kusain Ashkabov, OSP Philippe Linz, AJ Fletcher, Themba Garimbo. Themba Garimbo's got an incredible story, so I'm happy he's in the UFC. And then Juan Camilo Ronderos, Clayton Carpenter, I mean, that's, that's a UFC card on ESPN+. Plus. It's not great. It's not great. And I guess I'll kind of add to that. I mean, there's other things, too, with I'd love to know what the rules are. Uh, we're starting to learn more about. Uh, I, I'd love to know more about, like, USADA and how. I, I probably have more questions about USADA and the relationship with the UFC and if they have proven through this relationship that it actually works on making fights safer, if that makes sense, like I'd love to know that. But the other thing I'll say attached to the too many cards, if you want to do the same amount of cards, fine. But this one, we had so many casualties that we have 11 fights. So that's like, okay. But doing fight night cards that have 15 fights is just insane. It's insane to me. Fight night cards should be like eight fights. Eight to ten at the most. You're just asking a lot of fans. And you're asking for burnout. And it's just, this is too many cards. And because there's too many cards, the lineups are just not great. Like, well, let me look at next week. Like, next week's okay. There's some interesting storylines. 
Nikita Krylov, Ryan Spann is a main event. Muniz, Brandon Allen's a good fight. Augusta Sakai, Dante Mays, eh. Mike Malott's back. Tatiana Suarez is back. That's a big story. Jordan Levitt, Victor Martinez, like Haley Cowan, Aylin Perez, Jose Johnson, Garrett Armfield. I mean, it's just, it's just there. I don't know. But there's a lot of problems. Uh, there's a lot of great, too. I mean, there is a lot of great. UFC 285 is sick. Like that, the, UFC 285 is ridiculously good. It's the best main card of the year. Like, by far. It's not even, like, this isn't even a debate. This is the best overall card on paper for 2023 for the UFC. And it's not even close. Not even close. 14 fights. They're all good. There's something intriguing in pretty much every single fight. I mean, that, that's awesome. But there's just too many cards. Too many cards. Uh, Cody, I'll go to you, and then Mikey, then Zeke. Cody, what's hey, up? Hey, Mike, uh, just a couple things. Uh, I want to touch on Hamzat. Um, I know he hasn't fought since September. I don't know if he's battling some inside injury or whatever it may be, but, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, he's face of the UFC as far as, you know, uh, as far as the eye. I mean, he's one of the top guys, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm thinking, why isn't he fighting more often? What's next for him? Um, it's been, what, five months? He just ran through Kevin Holland. Um, his only test has been Burns, who, and let's be honest, if his ego is not getting the better of him there, he probably runs through Burns, too. Um, I just feel like he should be fighting more often. Um, and then my other thing was uh, with the rankings, you mentioned guys like Shafkat not being able to get top five guys or you know, people turning down fights. When is the UFC going to start punishing guys as far as the rankings go? Maybe they lose a spot if they're turning down a guy like Shafkat. It's, it's happened with Islam. Um, the Poirier, uh, no Shavkat, Hamzat. I think it's happened with Andre Muniz. People not fighting him. Um, when's the UFC gonna start saying, "Hey, like either fight this guy or you're gonna lose a spot in the rankings"? And then, uh, my last thing was the Volkanovski Islam fight. Um, why are judges? Why does somebody have to win the round? Why aren't judges more either ten ten or nine nine, whatever it may be? Um, call the round even. Uh, two two was close. Three was close. Um, I know probably answer my own question here, but it's probably just because the fans want a winner. The UFC wants a winner. They want to pick somebody to win the round. But um, and I feel like those rounds are so close. That, hey, let's just call it even, go on to the next one. Um, that's all I got. Thanks. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they're – I mean, uh, th there's examples of people just getting pulled out of the rankings. I mean, Leon Edwards is probably the best example. Um, they try to match him up with Hamzat. He was like, nah. And they just pulled him out of the rankings. And then he was like, all right, I'll fight him. And then um, <laughs> he put him right back out of the rankings. Like, the rankings are stupid. Like, they're all stupid. Uh, they don't mean anything. And I don't think, like, if a fighter gets pulled out of the rankings, like, I don't think it matters. Like, I really don't. It means nothing. Um, and the reason that it means nothing is perfect example. If Mazadal beats Gilbert Burns and Leon Edwards beats Kamara Usman, what's Mazadal right now? 11? Mazadal's 11? He's going to get a title shot. 
while Blah Muhammad is on a great winning streak is just going to get passed over. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. So I don't – the rankings don't mean much. It's just a – it's just a number. makes things look more interesting and competitive, I guess. Um, that's why I don't think it matters. And there – the UFC is obligated to offer these guys three fights. They say no. They just go on to the next thing. Um, there's risk-reward and everything. That's just kind of how it is, and it's been this way for a while. As far as Hamzat goes, like, I don't... It, it's, it's a blessing and a curse to become a, an active star in the sport uh, because Hamzat just trucked everybody, was fighting all the time, and then he became a star and he became ranked and he wanted to fight for belts. And it gets to the point where once you get to that status and you're making new contracts and you're making more money and all this, I would love to see a world where, you know, these guys just get in there and scrap. Like when, when Shafkot was supposed to fight last month against Jeff Neal and Jeff had to pull out, I would have just kept Shafkot on the card and just let him Dump truck somebody. Like, just get him on television to look powerful. doesn't matter who he fights. And then if you want to do the Jeff Neal fight again on, you know, UFC 285, cool. Like, then he's active and he's on twice a year. There's just not a ton of opportunities like that. Like, Kevin Holland took, took adva- advantage of a lot of them. Stepping in in main events. Fought five times in 2020. Looked great. He became a star. But once you get to that sort of echelon, it's not as easy to get the four or five fights. It just isn't. So things just slow down. Adrian Yanez, I spoke to him. Perfect example. Dude is fighting a lot, got into the rankings, was looking for suitable matchups, couldn't get them. Not as active as he wants to be. So... You fight often to become a star and you fight often to get in those spots. But once you get there, it's not as easy to stay active. It's just, it's, it's not. That's just the nature of the sport and the formula that there is. And as far as judging and scoring goes, that's a whole show altogether. I hate the scoring system. It's so stupid. It just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. And I would love to see a world where there's more 10-10 rounds. Ten nines are just not the same. Ten nines are just not the same. I don't know how you fix it, but there's there's plenty of ten nine rounds that happened this past Saturday that were clear ten nine rounds, and then there were ten nine rounds that are like razor close, and they're scored exactly the same. And it's just so stupid. It's a boxing scoring model for not boxing. And you could try with the different verbiage and, you know, this is top priority and then it goes to this. And that's why we have the debate about the fourth round of that fight because every, it's, it's ingrained in everybody's head that damage is the top priority. Damage, damage, damage. But how do you define damage? How do you define it? And I'm with Luke because Luke talked about it on BTL yesterday. If you score the fourth round for Volkanovski, it's just wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong because Islam won the striking before the takedown, which is incredible. And all Volk did, and sure, he had the back triangle, didn't do a ton with it. He 
put on a couple of neck cranks that were unsuccessful. Uh, but Volk was just landing like punches over his own face. And they're annoying, but they're not damaging. Those aren't damaging strikes. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't more effective than what Makachev did on the feet before the takedown. But the fact that we're like, oh, well, damage is number one. Like, even the, even the new rule set isn't great because of the fourth round. Now we have to look back into it and like try to dig deeper and define what damage actually means. So there's so many flaws with the scoring. So many. And I don't know how to fix it. All right, we'll take Mikey and then Zeke. Mikey, what's up? Personal rant, but um, first of all, yes, the rankings are kind of silly, but remember, 10, 10, 11 years ago, the reason why the rankings were made was because people were getting sick and tired of not knowing what meant what. I remember in 2011, Jim Miller had like an eight-fight winning streak. He won at UFC 128, and <laughs> Rogan stuck the mu microphone in his face and basically was like, so do you want a title shot? And he's like, no, I'll just take the next fight over. And it's like, dude, you're on an eight-fight winning streak. But he, was, but he wasn't ranked, you know? If he would, But everybody, every other publication was like, yeah, this guy's probably like a top-five lightweight. So I think the funny thing about all the griping about the rankings is as much as it sucks, it at least gives you a marker of where someone is. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's sure as hell better than just guessing on MMA Twitter or in other publications, you know? And um, as for the Volkanovski thing you just talked about, like, yeah, man, like, I understand Volkanovski was punching uh, Islam, but he was in a body triangle. It was a defensive position. He was defending himself, like... That doesn't necessarily appear offense. What in control? He had to punch Islam because Islam was on his back. Anyways, and after that, the rant I actually really wanted to go to was um, apparently the cast of Tough Thirty One that McGregor and Chandler are gonna coach got leaked, and it's primarily lightweights and bantamweights. And on the surface, it's fine, but I have to just to extrapolate more. I I'm a little cynical about it, man. Like a lot of those guys were already former UFC guys. I know that's supposed to be the theme. But it feels so cynical. Like, okay, great. You're just taking guys and shoving them onto the reality instead of actually bringing anybody in, like, new. Or, like, oh, you know, God forbid, introducing a new weight class. Been clamoring for women's anime weight. And you have to come back, and probably everyone's going to watch that show. And you have a chance to platform women, but you're like, nah, let's just retread it with a bunch of lightweights and weights. You know, the two weight classes that are so damn deep, you probably don't need any more in them. You know what I mean? Anyways, that's my rant for now. Have a good weekend, guys. Enjoy the fights tomorrow. So I, I saw these reports. Uh, I know nothing about it. So these could be right. These could be wrong. I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, but what's being reported uh, for Bantamweights let me pull this up. Uh, Manny Lazoya apparently is going to serve as a substitute. Timor Valiev. Wow, that's an interesting one. Mondo Gutierrez, who lost to Raul Rosas Jr. on the Contender Series. Carlos Vera, Trevor Wells, Rico DeSilio. Oh, got some New England uh, representation on here. Rico's on there. Hunter Azure, Cody Gibson. 
Chris Moutinho, Anthony Burt. Wow, Anthony Burchak, that's an interesting one. And then the lightweight ones. Uh, let's see. Lowick, Rads, Radzaboff, Dakota Bush. There you go, AK. There you go. Nicknames galore. Aaron McKenzie. Jason Knight. Wow. Wow. Austin Hubbard, Mitch Ramirez, Lucas Clay. Uh, Kenny Cross. I like it, I like the Kenny Cross one. I think I I think he's been UFC ready for a while. Uh, but again, I, I don't know what's fact and what isn't. Uh, these are just reports. I've seen others that said that uh, this is not the actual lineup, but we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But the fact that Will Brooks, I mean, the fact that Will Brooks is on the show is a travesty. Like, come on. Like, that's, I mean, that is as easy as it gets. This guy has been, this guy's been out winning fights on the comeback trail. He's got a great story. He's humbled up. He's willing to go back on the ultimate fight. Like, he's willing to go on the ultimate fighter to prove himself. Like, that dude, that was a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. And there's a lot of, I mean, some of these names are interesting, but there's, I don't know. If that's the lineup, I don't think it's a spectacular lineup. There's a couple names on there that are intriguing, but, I mean, there are, there are others. Like, you cut Saeed, you cut Hakuman off like that, but throw him on the ultimate fighter. Like that dude deserves a shot back in the UFC. He's, he's that guy's super legit. I don't know, but Will Brooks not being there is a freaking travesty. Joe Giannetti would have been a good name to throw on there. I think he would have been. That's a great name to throw on there. But I don't know. We'll see what the actual lineup is. Maybe some of those names are on there. I have no idea. Zeke, hello. My man, Mike, uh, I'll be short and sweet since I'm the last caller and I'm moving around today. I'm not sure if the connection is great, but uh, here we go. Uh, first things first, name that I love to talk about, of course, one of, uh, you know, the UFC's, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but in my eyes, definitely a Hall of Famer. Eddie Alvarez got some fight news coming up. Uh, it looks like maybe Cole, uh, not Core, uh, could be the PFL, could be bare knuckle, could be boxing. What do you think, uh, you know, Eddie's cooking up over there? And then question for you, if I give you like a little fantasy draft, uh, you know, some of the things that MMA fighting likes to do of the next two cards, can you even put together a main card for me? Like I can give you four fights. I can be like, all right, yeah, you could stick that together on a main card, maybe a pay-per-view or a fight night, but try and find a fifth fight. And I wish you the best of luck. My man, Mike, have a heck of a weekend. Thanks, man. Let's see here. Well, I think you're going to find most of them coming off of next week's card. I think the main event for this week's card would be the main event for the total card. Krylov Span, co-main event. Muniz, Brennan Allen. Yep. There's three. I would do Jamila Alexander Hernandez. And I would do Tatiana Suarez, Montana De La Rosa. That's not a bad main card right there. That's a pretty solid main card. It's a pretty solid main card right there. Yeah, I like that main card. 
That's, I mean, if that's the main car we were getting tomorrow, I would be a lot more positive about it, but it's not. It's not what we're getting. And next week's card is not great either. It's better. There's more intriguing storylines to it. Like, nothing is more intriguing right now um, over the next two weeks. And this includes tomorrow's main event, if we're being honest. Then Tatiana Suarez coming back. I, I mean, I'm just so curious. She hasn't fought since June 8th, 2019, when she beat Nina Nunez. And probably that win probably would have got her a title shot. But she's, she, I mean, she was a wrecking ball before she left. And she got injured in the Nunez fight. Fight was much more competitive than people expected. She's booked to fight Roxanne Modafari. Then she had the knee injury. She's just gone through so much over the last four years. I just don't think there's anything more intriguing in my eyes than her comeback over the these next couple of cards. I mean, once we get to 285, then we have lots there. But if Suarez just kind of picks up where she left off, very curious to see where she goes. And who she ends up fighting. Will it be a 15 or 25? Seems like she wants her back to 15, but Montana's a tough out. She's going to scrap. Montana's had a pretty, pretty relentless strength of schedule throughout her UFC career. She's like, she's that, she's that fighter that just is, is, does not give a shit who she fights. Her UFC run. Uh, Nadia Kesem, yeah. Andrea Lee, Mara Barella, Viviani Ararujo, Myra Buena Silva, Ariane Lipsky, Macy Barber, Tatiana Suarez. Golly. And she was booked to fight Tyler Santos, too. She don't care. She don't care. Gotta respect that. All right, we'll take one more. Uh, Unknown Ak, hello. Hello. Okay. All right, Daniel, take us home. Yep. Perfect. Well, top of the morning to you, man. Heck of a morning. Uh, Happy Friday. And just wanted to just throw a quick one at you here. I know Alex Hernandez is fighting this weekend. I know I've come in here and talked a couple times about retirement, you know, like Frank Yeager, Chris Gutierrez. I know last uh, Shogun fight we were talking about against Ehor, just thinking maybe there's a chance he can do it. Um, Alexander Hernandez, before his last fight against Billy Q, he said, I think I only got one more fight in me. He goes down to 145, faces Billy Q, loses. And now he's coming up on short notice and I, I think taking on Jim Miller now back at 155 and, like, I, I just don't know. Like, did, did he retire? Is he coming out of retirement? Did he say he was going to keep fighting? I guess I'm just kind of confused kind of where Alex Hernandez stands, you know. Um, and even if you don't think so, just what you think a, a win or loss would do for him here. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I honestly, I, I, that's the first I've heard of that. Uh, maybe I'll go back and watch his media day and see if he addressed that at all. Uh, that'd be pretty surprising. Like, I've, I've, I've been – 
I've known Alex and been interviewing Alex since before he got to the UFC. Uh, that'd be pretty surprising. He is a he is a pretty emotional guy though. He's only thirty. Like it just I believe he just turned thirty. He turned thirty in October. So I mean, athletically, he's still in his prime. He's just such an interesting story. Comes into the UFC on short notice to fight Benil Dariush, and he knocks out Benny Dariush in 42 seconds. Which is insane. Then he fights Olivia and Mercier. Tougher fight in terms of like what happened in the actual fight. And I actually was really impressed with that OAM win. A lot of people weren't. He wasn't at all. I thought that was that that did more for him than the Dariush win in terms of how I viewed him. Because the Dariush win is just comes in, he blitzes, lands a big punch. People will somewhat question it. Maybe it's lucky, maybe it's not. And then he fights OAM and just outworks him. And just, it was just miserable to watch OAM in that fight because Alexander Hernandez was just relentless with this grappling. And then the Cerrone fight happens and this dude's career just kind of plummeted right from there. And then he fights Francisco Trinaldo. Close fight. A lot of people thought Trinaldo won that fight. Fights Drew Dober. Gets finished in the second round. Knocks out Chris Gritzmacher. Loses a really fun fight to Tiago Moises. One that Hernandez still to this day thinks he won. I don't agree with him. But it's just it's one of those fights that I look at. Not for new fans to watch, but for... Fans who have been watching for a while who are looking for more of like a technical breakdown of striking, the Tiago Moises fight is a really good example of just defensive savvy and actually landing and it just landing shots and not getting hit, even though it looks real close. That's what the Tiago Moises fight was like. Knocks out Mike Breeden, then he gets submitted by Hinata Moicano after he looked pretty solid in that first round. He looked really good against Billy Q in that first round. I don't know, man. Like, he's in a tough spot if he loses this, but him stepping in on short notice probably gets him another fight. Uh, to me, it's always been mental with him, with him. It's always been a mental thing. And he's pretty strong mentally. Like, since he's gone to Factory X, I feel like a lot of that mentality has changed. I feel like he's improved. I feel like it's something that was on his radar that he knew he needed to improve. But, I, I mean, that Cerrone loss is just one of those fights that it's just so hard to come back from. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't – like, it's, it had to have been – I mean, literally, to this day, I, I remember I interviewed Alex. I interviewed Alexander Hernandez for my MMA news in 2019, like three days after that loss to Don Cerrone. And I remember that interview very well because I was living on Cape Cod at the time, and I was driving back to the Berkshires so I could see my family. And then Hernandez's team hits me up and says he'll talk now. And this is while I'm driving my car back to the Berkshires. So I did that interview, no video. Um, I did that interview in a Burger King. Pulled over to a Burger King that had Wi-Fi. 
and we hopped on Skype and we did an interview. And to this day, to this day, people are still commenting on that interview from 2019, shitting on him because of what he said at the press conference and, and talking trash. And Cerrone just beats the brakes off of him and, and teaches him that sort of vet lesson. And I just don't know if he's ever recovered from that. And how, like, and I'll blame, like, that's, that's got to be so difficult. Because if he beats Cerrone that night after talking all that noise and then he goes out there and beats Cerrone, like, that's a huge moment for him. His career looks inc- so much different if he wins that fight. But Cerrone showed up and beat his ass. And he says he's gotten over it. I just don't know if he has. And I don't know a lot of people who would. So I don't blame him for that. But he's just had such an interesting run because he comes in, knocks out Dariush, beats OAM, who was the top guy. He's ranked like probably in the top 10 going into the Cerrone fight. He never really had, like, he's never really had the chance to develop. Had a bunch, what was he? He was nine and one when he got into the UFC. Had some fights in LFA, a lot of them, or RFA, LFA. I think he had two fights outside of the region. Had RFA, LFA, right to the UFC, right to Benny Dariush, and gets a 42 second knockout. So if we, get, if we think of different forks in the road for Hernandez, there's two that come to mind. One is the Cerrone fight, super hard to come back from, but I think maybe a more pivotal road for the entirety of Hernandez's career is what if he went in there with Dariush and they have a scrap and he loses like a 30-27 decision in that fight, but fights well, doesn't get the doors blown off him, but goes in there and just loses the fight. What would his career look like? Because he ain't fighting OAM his second fight, and he certainly isn't fighting Donald Cerrone his third fight. They would give him a step back against like a top 50 light, like a top 35, 40 lightweight, and he would develop. But he never really got the chance to. He got thrown right into the wolves, right into the fire, right off the bat. And he's had to basically, since his entire UFC run, be a top 10 to 15 guy. It's just so interesting, his career trajectory and what could have been for this guy. But now he gets a shot against Jim Miller, and he's 5-5 five and five in the UFC, 30 years of age. He's made a lot of moves, a lot of sacrifices. He beats Jim Miller. It's a great win. But it's going to be a tough fight. If he can't get... Good old Jimmy out of there in the first round. Could be a rough one for him. I don't know. He's a really interesting case. I know I know people don't like Hernandez. Um, I like Alex a lot. Um, again, I've I've known I've been interviewing and talking to him for over five years now. And yeah, I know I know the Cerrone thing really rubbed people the wrong way. But I, I think there's probably some regrets, hindsight regrets with that whole thing. But it is what it is. But that's an interesting fight. And we'll see if he can get a, just a huge win. Because his last two wins were against Chris Gritzmacher and Mike Breeden. 
and the Trinaldo win didn't age gracefully. So beating a guy like Jim Miller would be would be huge for him. It would be huge. But we'll see how it all plays out tomorrow. All right, everybody, you are uh, you are all the best. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to take a little breather from the MMA world for the next few hours. I will be back 3 p.m. Eastern for the preview show for UFC Vegas 69. Uh, then we will have BKFC coverage for you uh, for Knuckle Mania 3 over on the website. And then tomorrow, People's Pre-Fight Show, I believe, at 3.30 p.m. Eastern because we have a 4 p.m. prelim. Uh, we'll have the post-fight show, reaction to UFC Vegas 69, and then my best friend and I will be back on Sunday to do some matchmaking uh, on, on to the next one. And then we will literally be on to the next one with UFC Vegas 70. Bellator 291 is actually a really strong card. They're going to be in Dublin, so you know that crowd's going to be on fire. And then we'll be on the road to UFC 285 and the long-awaited return of John Jones. So... Thank you all very much. Have a great rest of your Friday. We'll see you later on this afternoon for the UFC Vegas 69 preview show. Have a heck of a morning, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.